Hey, Veronica. Hey, John. Hey, I uh, I have some pretty big news. Oh, yeah? I am getting married. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm getting married. Um, uh, wow. You know, uh, that woman I met recently, uh-huh. I won't say her name, um, but, uh, you know, it's... She's just, she and I just really hit it off. We're heading to Texas. We're going to get married. Mm-hmm. And let me, um, let me ask you, you know, as a woman, what you think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted to have a small wedding, but I know she used to have this job uh, with these coworkers she really loved. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking as a fun surprise, I'm thinking I'm going to invite them all. Oh, my God. That's going to be so romantic. I mean, right? I, she shared so many memories with these people. And I mean, I'm sure it's going to make her day. She's going to love you. She's going to think you're the best husband. Oh, thank you. It was very hard. It was very hard. Oh. These guys, they are tough to track down. Mm. All I had was weird uh, snake names, but Whoa. I found them all. And even better, I found their boss. Oh, man. Her former boss. Oh, she talks about this guy all the time. Damn, that's, yeah, that's so nice. Hold on. You said she talks about her boss all the time? Well, not all the time. And she talks about him a little. Apparently, he, uh, you know, helped uh, teach her a lot of stuff. He was apparently a very formative mentor figure in her life. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I thought, I thought for a second that it would be awkward to have a boss at a wedding, <laughs> but. Uh, He's not her boss anymore. She's made it very clear she doesn't work there anymore. But I just know that she loved this gang and they'll love to be there. Yeah. I mean, it's the happiest day of a woman's life. Uh, Well, uh, listen to me, Blabbin. Uh, Anything new with you? Yeah, I joined this gang. It's called the Crazy 88s. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Amazing. What, what? Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. Perfect intro. Ah, as always. I think I think you know, we've been doing this show for like 5 years. It's amazing our intros just keep getting better and better. I think you know, it's just the practice of it. And I bet everyone listening assumes we script these cuz they're so tightly uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're so tight and funny. <laughs> Hi, Veronica. Hello, John. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, that's right. We are John. We are Veronica. I, we are that John. That's not usually how Veronica. we. <laughs> we. I watched uh, The Exorcist Three Legion last night, so I, I'm speaking like a demon. Many demons inside a body. Um, but that's not what we're what we're talking about tonight. This is box office time machine. 
the show where we talk about the number one movie at the box office, either from the present weekend or from a weekend from the past. And as the strikes continue to go on and on, SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP are currently going to return to negotiations. Maybe the AMPTP will just fucking get off their asses and end this, you rich fucks. Mm-hmm. But while the strikes are ongoing, we are only doing old movies. What old movie are we talking about today, Veronica? Uh, we are talking about one of the best movies of all time, John. Kill Bill Volume 1, the first volume. <laughs> spoilers, spoilers for the end of the episode. So so I'm guessing you like this one. Oh, I love this one. I, I've seen it so many times. Very, lots of fond memories. How do you feel about it? Well, unfortunately, I think we're going to have another contentious episode. Oh, no. Just kidding. I fucking loved it. It's so good. <laughs> no, no, no. This will not be uh this will not be um uh the big chill. I could not remember the movie I so disliked last time. This will not be the big chill. This is the big kill. Bill. Whoa. What a uh, thrill. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this is I love this movie. In fact, I was watching it and I'm like, God, that, I hope the episode is not just uh, us going down a list of scenes that we liked beat for beat. But no, I, I think I've come up with some fun conversational topics instead. OK, but first, Veronica, before the, this uh, love fest begins, um, what is your history with Kill Bill Volume One? Well, I remember, so this movie came out while I was still in high school. I've seen and loved Pulp Fiction. And this was like, at the time, like this very long gestating project. I believe it's been about six years since Jackie Brown came out. And so, and Jackie Brown at the time was, even though I think it's an amazing movie, was still considered kind of... A bit of a letdown in terms of, you know, like the the pop of, you know, Pulp Fiction. It wasn't as new. It was a story about two old people finding love, basically, essentially, uh, and a lot of old songs. And so I think people were like very much looking forward to it then. The news started coming out that it's super violent. No one is going to like Tarantino cannot get a cut that gets approved. There's all these rumors about how bloody it is and how uh, unwieldy it is. Then we got the news that it's being split into two. Uh, And so I guess long story short, I was super excited. I remember we went as a group in high school to see it we had to wait for two and a half hours because the screening we were gonna see was sold out uh but it was while we were all very sleepy this movie definitely like (laughs) woke us up and jolted us and uh it was amazing i remember seeing it a few times in the theater i was just so blown away by it even not really knowing all the references that it was making uh but it was still just like such a fun energetic movie that i don't know i couldn't help but love immediately how about you well i was also in high school uh when i saw it for the first time uh three years ago 
Um, <laughs> no, I was in high school when it came out. I remember seeing in the theaters. You you mentioned, yes, there was all the talk about it slowly coming out. And this was absolutely um, the time when I would be uh, checking my movie news websites every day. Any cool news I, on to the, on the I was never a, an AICN guy, Oh, thankfully. Yeah, I never got um, into it. Mostly I was turned off by their UI. <laughs> yeah, I, I was too busy reading the parody turned real website, Kevin Smith's moviepoopshoot.com. Oh, is that part of the Viewisk universe? <laughs> well, it was a thing um, from Jan Silent Bob Strikes Back. It was a fake website that he then made a real website that was a real movie news website for years that I did check every day. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Kevin Smith did some good stuff. <laughs> we are unlocking some really buried memories. I have not thought of the phrase movie poop shoot in a very long time. Well, I'm double checking that that is that was, in fact, the name. Is that the yes. name of the website? Yep, movie that, poop shoot. Is that the name of the website in either Dogma or Jane Silent Bob Strike Back? That's the isn't that kind of a plot point that yeah, someone yeah. is being made fun of on this website? Yeah, Jane Silent Bob Strikes okay, Back. Okay, That's okay. the website that they that sends them to Hollywood. It looks like I'm Googling it now. It is now called Fred Entertainment. A site called Fred. Cool. Huh. A site called Okay. I, I, it still exists. Good for it. <laughs> they have an interview with Bobby Moynihan. Oh. From, wait, when was this? Oh, this was posted in 2021. I do not think this site still exists. Okay. Well, you know, oh, they're well. at least paying whoever owns their domain. <laughs> well, uh, I hope this has so far been an illuminating discussion with Bill Bill. <laughs> well, it's, it's been a trip back 20 years to 2003. Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I remember uh, uh, all that, that pre-release hype. Um, this was certainly going to be the first uh, Tarantino movie I saw in the theaters. Same. Um, because I would have been 10 when Jackie Brown came out. Um, and I just, at 10 years old, I was like, I got to read the Elmer Leonard book first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you were like, yeah, I got to watch punch? Coffee before I see any, <laughs> yes. any of the movies that, uh, any Pam Greer stuff, just so that yeah, you know I, what she's referring to in her sadness and old woman sadness <laughs> uh, i believe i had seen her in the movie jawbreaker and that is it before oh, i saw right. her in jackie brown oh man <laughs> right? she's in jawbreaker right i feel like there's um, no anyway. way we'll talk about jawbreaker on this uh podcast ever but it's a great movie <laughs> <laughs> very unlikely um but uh but yeah i i was excited to see it you mentioned all the pre-release hype i remember one of the truly great teaser trailers of all time um, with that great song, the name I forget, and I'm not going to, with my mouth, try to remake it here. You guys know it was on Napster and Kazaa as the Kill Bill trailer song for years. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that song is actually from a movie. I, I believe. think it's just called like so Battle much of this. Without Honor or Humanity. If I, um, if I recall from the. Days when I totally pirated the soundtrack off of Napster, like stitched it together rather Frankenstein like from disparate tracks. Oh, hell yeah. Here's, here's, here is the Quentin Tarantino message board from 2003. 
Um, uh, literally, the first po- the the title is trailer teaser music topic from January two thousand three, and Sebastian writes, "Some said in Kazaa you could find the MP three under the name of Kill Bill Teaser, but I don't know anymore." Ooh. <laughs> oh, fun, 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 fun. Um, but yeah, I remember that teaser. I remember seeing the movie. I remember loving it. And then I remember uh, waiting for the second one. I remember the second one making me love it even more because the first one, and we could talk about this later, the first one is barely a story. It is much <laughs> more just a collection of very, very, very cool sequences. And then the second one really makes the first movie so much richer in retrospect mm-hmm. by really kind of introducing all the character moments. Right. Um, but I remember that I got them both on DVD. I watched them a few times. This, but this is my first time watching this movie in like 15 years. Oh wow! And I fucking loved it. <laughs> um, but I was watching it, and I remember thinking, um, I remember thinking a few years after both of these came out, when there was the news that like, oh, Tarantino's gonna take the little girl. From the opening scene, who plays Vivica A. Fox's daughter, mm-hmm. and in like 20 years, he's going to make a movie with her hunting down Uma Thurman. And I remember at the time being like, well, that's cool, but 20 years, that's an impossibly far I amount know. of time. <laughs> I can never possibly wait that long. Well, <laughs> we are here. Uh, that movie I don't think will ever come out. Well, nor I don't even know what it would be. Yeah, it is kind of like, it is one of those ideas that he sometimes throws out there and but the more you think of it, the more the less sense it makes. There's yeah, no, like what would Yeah. What's the story? Yeah, and what is the story that has not been told here? Rather mm-hmm. it, it will be the same thing. It will be this girl seeking revenge, which could be fun, but I don't know that that's necessarily Oh, I guess it would probably be Beatrix's daughter fighting that woman and it would be like a younger generation ruining their lives over sins of their parents. Maybe that would be the story. I don't know. I don't think we need it. Um, Much like we don't need Gogo Yubari's brother seeking revenge, (laughs) (laughs) which was another thing that I believe was... That was was another pitch thing? Was that going to be like an anime thing? Yeah, so that was one of the animated things. I believe it was written out. So I think, I don't know how, you know, how good of a source it was at the time. I wasn't the journalist that I am now, but I remember reading... Was it moviepoopshoot.com? Yeah, it was on moviepoopshoot. No, but I remember seeing either a screenplay, some screenplay pages, or someone describing those pages at this point. It's hard to tell. Of, like, this uh, Gogo Yubari's brother. I think it was brother. I forget. Maybe it was sister. But... driving around the idea was that the pussy wagon when it gets to Vivica A. Fox's house once it leaves (laughs) we see an ice cream truck follow the the truck and so the idea is is that in the movie in In the the movie movie. yeah yeah, yeah. and in and in it was supposed to be like Gogo Yubari's sibling um (laughs) But this yeah. feels like some real fan fiction shit. I know, but I think, you know what? I'm going to look it up. I think it is 
true? Or I mean, I know that I possible. It's entirely possible. I just don't know that we need to Star Wars this world. Yeah, no. I I mean, I think wisely Tarantino has avoided that stuff, except for like teasing people with that, much like with the Vega brothers and all that. But like, luckily, he's never actually done anything with that, which is good. And he he has one more movie. So that's it. Yeah, if he made it, I would absolutely see it. I know every few months, uh, as we've been leading up to this anniversary, there have been articles like um, like weirdos at uh, uh, premieres being like, Maya Hawk, Maya Hawk, are you going to be in Kill Bill 3? And Maya Hawk being like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> um, you know, what do we know? Well, moviepoopshoot.com doesn't exist anymore. I'm not getting uh, my up-to-the-minute poop shoot movie news. So for all we know, Tarantino, Thurman, Hawk, that little girl from the first one, they've all been in talks. And this is coming out, and they're going to surprise announce it the day the strikes are done. And you know what? I've changed my mind. This is real, and it's going to be announced, but not until the strikes are done. So AMPTP, get off your asses. Um, but anyway. I, I found it, by the way. It was it was chapter oh, really? five. It was called Yuki's Revenge. And yeah, apparently, allegedly, it was supposed to be in the volume one script. Uh, mm. So, yeah, I guess that exists. I can I don't know that we want to do a dramatic reading of it, but there's like a whole like Kill Bill live journal that reproduces it. <laughs> uh, I think we absolutely do. That is that is something <laughs> we will do. Um, uh, <laughs> you, are, you can get that ready while I um, I remember watching this. I was remembering so much just the experience of going to this movie in the theaters. I know, me too. Um, It, to this day, has my favorite cliffhanger of all time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I was bringing it up recently. I think I might have brought it up in our episode about Dead Reckoning, the Mission Impossible movie. Oh, by the way, did you see that Dead Reckoning Part 2 is no longer titled Dead Reckoning Part 2? What is it titled? Uh, it the, it hasn't been released yet. Oh. But for, so Live, there will die, repeat be, part two. Yeah, yeah. So there will now be a Dead Reckoning part one and then just another movie. Oh, gosh, <laughs> that's depressing. Do you think that is the reasoning is because they think people will be turned off by Dead Reckoning? I think the less the less positive reaction to it. It's also been delayed a year. I don't think they're going they're it's still the same movie. They already shot it. It's not like they're going to like transform it into a new movie and just jettison everything. Did they actually um, shoot it cuz I read that initially they meant to shoot them both together and then they did not. Uh, maybe you're right. But you know what? That's not what this episode's about. Um, yeah, sorry. But yeah, I remember. No, I brought it up. I remember. Um, I remember when that that final line was said. Um, does she know? Is she aware her daughter is still alive? Mm-hmm. Just like the gasp from the audience. Um, and there were so many scenes like that. It was just such a fun movie to see in this uh, in a theater. But um, oh, for sure. First, let's read Yuki's Revenge. So Yuki, by the way, is a sister. It's not a brother. So I did get that part wrong. All right, let's start. So this is from a post from 2005. 
<laughs> this is, I mean, he now was fresh reading. from the presses at the time. What is... To, to be clear, audience, there's a huge possibility we are reading pure fan fiction here. But I'll I'll, I'll start by reading what the, the supposed, supposed history of this is from uh, the poster named Jamaican Jungle. <laughs> this is their live journal. Certainly a reputable source. Of course. Yuki's Revenge. The following chapter is taken from the Kill Bill Volume 1 script before the final shooting. This means that this is the raw, unedited version of the script. Yep, that's what that means. <laughs> Therefore, you will notice some mirror dialogue between Yuki and the bride. I downloaded it from the Quentin Tarantino ar- archives. Which archives I will misspelled. say, by the way, is a good Tarantino source. Yeah, I actually okay. know the guy who runs it. Hi, Sebastian. But he's like, he met Tarantino. Wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> Guy the guy that I quoted a minute ago, you know him? I know the the guy who runs Quentin Tarantino archives. Like personally, you know him, or well, you just recognize that He's in that, Germany, that but we chatted on ICQ at the time, and we ah! were friends. Uh, and he sent me an Inglorious Bastards parka that they guys- were giving away. You guys should have come over to uh, the poop shoot. I was commenting <laughs> up a storm. <laughs> but anyway, Quentin Tarantino archives was a good, reputable source. And he actually did end up okay. meeting Tarantino a few times, I think. Not, not this, to say the veracity of this is, you know, sure. we don't know. Well, here's this, this. The intro ends with rumor has it that maybe QT will shoot this scene with Cal, uh, uh, I'm sure misspell mispronounce this. Uh, Kao Shibasaki, Shibasaki, as an enhancement to his ultimate DVD box set. He did not. That is not a thing that happened. But those were. Do you not remember the rumors? <clears throat> there was oh, there a so giant. There was. I even remember there was art for a complete box set, DV, like DVD box set, and I was so excited. It was probably on my Amazon wish list for like 10 years, and then nothing came of it. Anyway. We can talk about the whole damn bloody affair uh, a little later. First, uh, let's do this. All right. this is, I'll, is... I'll be narrator, and then you'll be yes. Yuki, and I'll be the bride, as I was meant to okay. be. Sure, and I'll be Yuki. Uh, a young Asian woman, as I as I assure you. I mean, was are you any closer to being the bride than you are, Yuki? Let's be honest. <laughs> no, I, I think I think this is a miscast either way, but but that's that is fine. That's this is the cast we're working with today. All right, Chapter Five: <laughs> Yuki's Revenge. We hear music under this card. Montage of Yuki coming to Los Angeles. Cut to music. We see Yuki dressed in her Japanese private schoolgirl outfit with white blouse, plaid skirt, bobby socks, blazer, and barrettes in her hair. Flying on the jet en route to Los Angeles, she paints her fingerlays with bubblegum colored nail polish. Yuki walks through LAX. Yuki standing next to car salesman in California car lot. She points to a car in front of her. We see her cool convertible sports car and her finger pointing to it. We see Yuki behind the wheel of the sports car, driving as fast as she can through twists and turns of the Hollywood Hills, laughing all the way. We see Yuki running around all over L.A., Hollywood and Disneyland, taking pictures with with her disposable Barbie camera. First, okay, so pause. 
Yes. Veronica, have you ever, as as a, a frequent denizen of the Tarantino archives back in the day, have you ever read any actual Tarantino scripts? Yeah, I was going to say that this does not read this like is, his stuff. This is not the way any screenplay would be written. I've never read a Tarantino script. For all I know, he bucks literally every possible convention of screenplay writing. But you're saying he does not. I this does not. I've read two screenplays of his and this one does not read like what he would write. But <laughs> I mean, I guess you could say maybe this was from a treatment. Yeah, I I, I don't think this is what I read at the time. I will say this. Okay. Do you want to keep going? <laughs> oh, uh, absolutely. Well, you know what? Can we? Yeah, yeah keep going. <laughs> Why don't we just skip to the dialogue? Oh, so I don't think there's actually dialogue. Oh, there is at the bottom. Oh, okay. So, okay. Scroll scrolling, down. Scrolling, a scrolling, down. scrolling. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of inner cutting. This is <clears throat> bizarre. Uh, this is also for anyone uh, uh, wondering why we're having such a hard time reading English. Um, <laughs> this has been... Uh, the HTML is all wrong, so all of the line breaks are completely inaccurate. Um, but okay, we'll start with the part. Full screen. We stay with Yuki's side as she stops across the street from the bride. During their face-off, we only see the bride at a distance. The bride is in the background, back to us, packing her truck, just about ready to make a clean getaway. When Yuki yells to the figure across the street. Oh. And so it's actually... Oh. So a lot of my dialogue is in Japanese, um, <laughs> which I do not speak. Uh, she yells something. We see, I, I'm not going to try to phonetically say this. Okay. <clears throat> we see the back turned figure of the bride slightly freeze upon hearing the Japanese greeting. Without turning around, she says. Kongitu wa. Pause. Yoki. Bingo. Thriller, thriller music. music. <laughs> <laughs> thriller. This sounds real. This definitely feels real. The bride or, turns oh, around to it, face the young Avenger. It's the music that's going to be like, eh, uh, eh, uh, the Ironside music. Probably. Oh, you think he, in, maybe in the original tra- treatment, he hadn't chosen music. He just wrote thriller music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this checks out. All right. <laughs> Can I help you? You can kill yourself. <laughs> she giggles. Taking a trip? I was. You still are. One way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know you feel you must avenge your sister, but I beg you, walk away. <laughs> you call that begging? You can beg better than that. So this is just dialogue, a slightly worse versions of dialogue for the movie. But the person who posted this did explain that in the intro. I didn't read it. To be clear, (laughs) this scene is not in Kill Bill, never made it to the blah, blah, blah. The actress who was supposed to play Yuki was not able to sign on the filming. Wait, there was. Oh, this is the raw unedited. So you'll notice some mirror dialogue. Okay, sure. This explains some of this. Totally makes sense. Okay. (laughs) Um, You call that Becky? You can beg better than that. She giggles. Then she takes out a flashlight and switches on the beam. Can I see your face? I heard your beauty is exquisite. I would like to see for myself. Sure. <laughs> this is me. I, I, Delivery <laughs> mine. 
<laughs> Yuki shines a flashlight beam in the bride's face. Oh, look how pretty your face is. Oh, I want to touch it. Domo. <laughs> that means thank you. Your face is your face is so pretty. I just want to put both of my palms against your cheeks and give you little tiny kisses. Where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> Yuki then shines the flashlight. <laughs> Veronica, what did you Google to find this? Um, Yuki shines a flashlight onto her own face. How do I look? Very pretty. You're just saying that because I told you how pretty you are. Yuki, you're gorgeous. Oh, God. Really? Is that how you describe me to somebody if I wasn't here? Yuki's gorgeous. You bet. Hee hee hee. Don't make me kill you. That's my line. Oh, sorry. Don't make me kill <laughs> you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Yuki removes the Israel submachine <laughs> gun from behind her back and fires a loud, intense volume. Yeah. Uh, hmm. It's cool. It's mirror dialogue from both the movie and a bad lesbian porn. <laughs> the bride dives out of the way just as her yellow pussy wagon is demolished by the ammo. Wow. Bride with her usual so, samurai sword at hand and her backpack full of money. Where did she get a backpack full of money? Takes off running across a couple of front lawns. So all of this is still supposed to be happening outside of Vernita Green's house, which was daytime, right? Anyway, no, there's I don't so know. much it more. Them packing. One minute. QT has given the rights to Takashi Miki to turn this scene into a play. What? <laughs> It's so amazing reading all these posts from 2005. Oh, yeah. It was oh, cut the from ice the cream f- truck is here. I looked it up. Or it's in the screenplay, too. There's a... Oh, so there was just an ice cream truck on that block. But it is Vernita Green's house. So, like, why is she... Why is she lighting She up? hung out there all night, I guess. <laughs> this is not real. I'm sorry. I just refuse to believe this is real. This is terrible. Yeah, I I would imagine. Maybe that's how, like, Tarantino's first drafts are this bad. (laughs) And then the goal just comes out. It's amazing. It's amazing reading these posts. I'm now on um, the movie's subreddit where someone posted it in 12 years ago. And no one is like, this sounds terrible. They're all (laughs) like, this would have been amazing. I imagine Rosario Dawson as the nurse. There's a nurse later in the movie. Yeah, Nurse Owens. Why is there no one being like, this is fake? Are we crazy? Well, This is fake. I feel like at the time, 12 years ago, there was a lot more trust on the internet. This is before fake news. <laughs> this was before there were ever any hoaxes online. And everyone took everything at face value. Uh, Buster Bluth 91 says, <laughs> I have an unfortunate feeling that Kill Bill Volume 3 will come out at the same time that the Arrested Development movie will. Oh, God. <laughs> Poor Buster. <laughs> uh, great, because they are currently in the process of writing the Arrested Development movie and plan on starting filming this year. Oh, wow. It's good to see you've kept up to date and have an optimistic view on this, too. Oh, I think they're sarcastic. I'm optimistic as well, but they've been planning to start filming this year every year since 2005. The Arrested Development movie is due to come out next year. Wait, what? 
Then a post from nine months ago. The Arrested Development movie is due to come out next year, 2024, hopefully. What are you talking about? Jessica Walter is dead. <laughs> like, what's his face is kind of canceled. A bunch of them are kind of canceled <laughs> on, in various levels. What are you talking about? All right. Well, anyway. <laughs> Was this a long enough digression? How much have we talked about the actual movie? We just spent 20 minutes reading fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, let's talk about how this movie is great. <laughs> Well, I, I had a question. Um, well, uh, so was there a long gap since last time you've seen this movie? Uh, I think I rewatched all the Tarantino movies during the pandemic. So I must have seen it the past few years. Mm. I, I rewatched this all is... the Tarantino movies once every few years. No big deal. For some reason, this is my first time watching it as an adult. Mm. So um, I'm trying to think how how it played differently for me. Um, hmm. I wish I had an, an interesting answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I will say I've been, uh, I think maybe this time around, I was noticing the pastiche nature of it more than before. Mm -hmm. I don't know why this time, but sort of the dream logic stood out for me way more than it did in the past uh mm. I, I don't think it's a bad thing but you know i think this is the first time that for scenes for example like when in the end when the bride exits out into a garden that is all of the sudden full of snow and very peaceful it at the time, like previously, I don't think I ever considered the sort of the magical realism aspect of it. And here I was like, oh, this is, this is, you know, this is kind of this magical world that doesn't make sense. Of course, it's not going to be snowing in Tokyo because it didn't in the previous scene, but it makes perfect sense within the realm of the movie. So I think there were a bunch of stuff like that that I I don't think I treated them necessarily. It still feels I guess I'm not sure what I'm trying to say, but it <laughs> felt like I I was more aware of those moments than I was before and I really appreciated them. Uh but what? it uh, yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, <laughs> love that. Love that Zoom conversation. Um, uh, the thing I, I realized what I noticed much more than as a child, I was noticing much more the structure. Oh, yeah. The structure of the story, both as its own movie and as a longer movie that was split in two. Mm -hmm. And what like we it's amazing. We talk about how great the cliffhanger is because that was manufactured after the fact. Right there. I guess we can talk about the whole bloody affair now. But mm -hmm. yeah, so the idea was allegedly, I've never seen it, though I would love to, QT, if you have a screening, let me know. Uh, but so the cliffhanger was there, I think. Uh, but it wasn't really a cliffhanger, right? Because you immediately cut to yeah. so there was no uh 
the thing that got cut was her kind of recapping the previous movie in the car. That was added. Yeah. That, that the opening of part two, it was all new. Yeah. So that was the teaser and the house of blue leaves, much in like the Japanese version was all color and has additional gory stuff. Uh, but that, yeah, that was a, that was a choice made to ensure an R rating when it goes black and white, um, which I like with the eye pull. But uh, do you know, do you know what order the story goes in in the the whole bloody affair? So for they, he talked forever about releasing it, um, but this isn't like uh, this isn't like a Snyder cut thing. Um, this was a cut that existed at a certain point, yeah, and it has been screened. It's screened at apparently a can, and then it has screened at the New Beverly right. Theater, the theater he owns here in LA. And, yeah, it's screened um, also, I think, at the Alamo in Austin at some point at one of their festivals. Yeah, I was actually wrong. The line that cliffhanger is not in the movie like in the whole bloody affair so really yeah so she doesn't so we the audience do not learn about her daughter until the moment she learns which presumably would have been like 75 percent of the way through the movie yes so so it would have been like where it is in in volume two yeah because now like the way that that is set up now that's a shock not only to the character but to the audience whereas like we I can't see why he did that because he needed sort of us to, you know, look forward to the next movie in six months. Uh, But yeah, I think like initially he was going for a different emotional punch than what happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having it happen. Sorry. Oh, but to answer your question, all the chapters are in the same order. He doesn't play with chronology in that one from what I know. So, so it is. Yeah. So the whole bloody affair stays with this basic set of order. It opens with Vernita Green. We then flash back. Then we gradually build. Then we see Oren Ishii death. Then we would have. We still I guess, see. I guess, we still see uh, like the Zoe Fatale stuff, and apparently she said Sophie. Yeah, or yeah, Sophie Fatale. So we still see that. But then, like, it's just like you see her, like, in the trunk, that trunk shot. Mm-hmm. And from that, you can cut to an intermission. And then it's the massacre at the Two Pines, which is the the scene of the wedding. Um, so, Which is that the black and white opening of the second one. Yes. Um, after the recap. Yeah. I haven't watched the second one in an equally long period of time, so I'm trying to remember. Well, we'll get to but, see uh, it in six months. well it's interesting to think that this movie by itself is just half of like this movie by itself seems to be kind of all over the place as a chronology but if you think about it in its original format as one long movie the jumbling of the chronology is much less is it feels as a as a whole piece feels less crazy because mm-hmm. it really is just basically a flash forward to open the movie. You go back to basically the beginning of the story. 
You have a flashback to Oren Ishii, which is just basically introducing her character. Then we go through this movie. We get to the death of Oren Ishii. And then part two, other than the flashback, which similar to in this movie, making the movie kind of symmetrical, we have these long we have these long flashbacks at points where she's incapacitated in this one when she's willing her her uh legs to start moving again she we have the flashback uh the anime section telling us mm-hmm. Oren's life and in the second movie when she's in the coffin that's when we have the flashback to her training with Pai Pai Mei is that the name? Pai Mei yeah so that that is how it is so that's so really if you were to see it all as one long movie, then it's really just a flash forward and then two major character backstory flashbacks that happen at these set points on kind of symmetrically uh, uh, in and the first half and the second half of the movie. That's interesting because, yeah, it really does go kind of in chronological order after that point. I mean, here's my question to you. So right now. This weekend, while we're recording it, uh, Killer uh, Killers of the Flower Moon came out. Mm-hmm. Three hour, 40 minutes. Um, earlier this year, we had Oppenheimer came out. Three hours. And don't forget um, Taylor had, Swift's eras. Almost yeah, three eras. Well, yeah, Taylor Swift's eras. Also, uh, Avatar, superhero movies. There's been a, a number of Marvel movies. Uh, the 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 like Endgame, I think, was three hour, over three hours. So... While people love to bitch and complain about it, there is a clear accept growing acceptance of three hour movies. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked about this problem where um, as movie attendance was going down, uh, studios have been pushing the length of their movies because they th- they have it in their minds that people only go to see event movies and length me- means events. Well, I think it's s- also the flip side of that is because a lot of people now watch stuff at home. There's a lot more opportunities for people to pause and do something else, come back to the movie. Mm. And so there's less of a you know, a chore associated with a three hour movie because people are so used to binging TV shows over eight hours. Uh, Yeah, I guess I guess that's part of it. I'm sure the like filmmakers think that or are thinking that way. But like, I don't know that it's it's not like like TV shows being willing to have more complicated um, continuity because they know about like binging makes it easier and that people watch things in order now. I'm not sh- I think it's more I always thought the ballooning lengths had more to do with them thinking movie going audiences liked it mm-hmm. than them preparing for future streaming. I'm, I'm not in those rooms. I might be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. But it seems to me that Yeah, I think there are a bunch of reasons why it's happening and we have seen it and people Mm. do have an appetite for those things, even though they, you know, there's a ton of complaints about Killers of the Flower Moon being three hours long. There were complaints among the people I saw the movie with. (laughs) So, you know, uh, I think it's there, but I think there is also the understanding that it's you know, it's more common now and maybe, Mm -hmm. and I think also it's, 
I think these things are slightly like Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer. The reason why they're long is not necessarily even to the audience that go see these movies. It's not necessarily long for the same reason something like the Avengers or Avatar is long. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're not trying to pack in as many IP characters as possible. Well, rather like. (laughs) I think like Oppenheimer did introduce a lot of scientists. That's true. That could be the new Avengers. (laughs) Uh, No, but what I mean by that is that a a person goes to see an Avengers movie in the theaters and sees that it's three hours. He's like, oh, okay, that's going to be a lot of epic battle battle scenes and Mm -hmm. it's going to be huge. Uh, a person who goes to see Killers of the Flower Moon in a the theater knows that, oh, this movie is going to be long and dense. And I mean, they're prepared for both of those things. But I think for different genres of movie, a long movie kind of indicates different things to an audience. Maybe maybe that's mm-hmm. just my personal perception. But uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, I guess was your original question about Kill Bill I, is would I, this have <laughs> been successful as a four yes. hour movie? Well, I, 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 I was going to I was going to get there, but it just it, it just reminded me, I think, in the 50s with the advent of TV, when theater going audiences went down, uh, movie runtimes ballooned as well as a way to compete with uh, mm-hmm. television. Yeah, but. But but they uh, used but to yes, have intermissions, right. which we I I, I feel theaters, weird. Theaters that, don't want them. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> sucks. Why don't they want intermissions? It's very common in because Europe. It, it adds to the the running length, which mm. limits the amount of run to, of uh, screen. Fucking capitalism. So, so if you make the movies longer and add uh, intermissions, you're just making the movie even longer. But anyway, you are right. You guessed where my question was going before we got very, uh, uh, very off topic. Well, on topic for the digression. <laughs> so, yes, my question is, do you think in 2023 this movie would or should be released as one very long movie as opposed to two volumes. So, like, not re-release, but this is the first time we see Kill Bill, and it's yes, that if length. this was made for the first time now. Uh, the, obviously, there would be a few differences. Uh, Michael Parks probably wouldn't be doing brown face in the second part, but um, <laughs> other, than, other than those differences, do you think if Quentin Tarantino was filming the same basic script today, uh, let's say he's where not working this, with the wine scenes, where is this he's working in with the, someone else. Where is this in the chronology of Tarantino's career? He has made all the movies he has made. I think my answer <laughs> would be different either way. Uh, this I, this takes place in the Watchmen alternate history universe. Um, okay. so, uh, so Nixon's still president. <laughs> Oh, is it no. Nixon? <laughs> no, so but like yes, but like if he was making this movie today, do you think in whatever reality it would take for that to happen, do you think this movie would be would have been released as one long part with maybe some more cuts to them? Uh I I mean, I think yes. I think there's definitely a world where this gets released in one go. I think the reason some of the reason why it was, I mean, obviously, like, cut into two halves is because he didn't really want to cut stuff. So I guess mm-hmm. the question is, like, would he want to cut anything? Or is it going to be, like, a four and a half hour movie? Oh, God. Uh, which is what it is, I think, because this is almost two hours. And I think the other mm-hmm. one is over, too. So this is. Is it not? Yeah. 
I went well, no, no, I I I was I saw the time. Um oh yeah, the second one is 137 minutes. The first one is 111 minutes. So, yes, yeah. two and a half. Uh, yeah, it says that the with the inter- this one's not fully two hours. Yeah, with the intermission, the whole bloody affair was 215 minutes apparently. So, Woo. uh, yeah. So I think, I think it could get released. I would be curious. Yeah, what the response to something like that would be? Because I feel like. Because maybe by necessity, they cut these two in half. These two movies have such distinct vibes. And the first Mm -hmm. one really hypes you up for the second one. I think in many ways, because it's so energetic. There's the cliffhanger that you refer to. You are coming out of this movie theater and you're like, give me more, give me more. And will the the pathos and the sadness of the second one be kind of buried because we've now watched a two-hour movie full of adrenaline and now we have to kind of relax into a more kind of contemplative half. I mean, the people who have seen The Whole Bloody Affair have loved it. So, But I wonder... It is an interesting question, considering that I assume everyone who has seen it has seen the two parts before. So it's yeah. not, it's not like anyone is coming into it fresh. But yeah, it's a it's a good question. What do you think? Well, yeah, I guess it's beyond the question of would it be would it be released that way today, which I think it's very possible. Um, I guess the more important question. I mean, they is, have released the Hateful Eight in that roadshow oh, way yeah. where there was an intermission. The movie was over three hours oh, long. Oh, <laughs> that's I that's my a least favorite time. Tarantino, but I liked that. Uh, I, that I really show. liked it, but I, I so but the audience for that was way more limited than what Kill Bill ended up appealing yeah. to so though i well, so this I, is not like a, a one-to-one comparison though because i think mm-hmm. you know subject matter wise they're very different yeah i guess beyond the release which i guess is business more of a business question i guess the question is should it be would it make the movie better and obviously we haven't seen that version yeah so we can't really speak but i i think you it seems like you feel the same way I do that these just work so well as a two-parter. Yeah. That I wouldn't want it to be one long movie. I think yeah, I think my interest in seeing the whole bloody affair is just curiosity. It's not because I think it would make a superior movie. I think actually if you really wanted to watch it there's a bunch of torrented Stuff where people basically re-edited it to be the mm-hmm. way that the movie is. I never tried looking those up, really. But have you seen? Have you seen the deleted chapter? Oh, the the little like scene, the Michael. Was it? Is it Michael Jai White? Yeah, the Michael Jai White with David Carradine. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I, I don't think it remember was, if I've ever seen it. Have you seen it? Yes, it was part of one DVD. Maybe it's only in the Japanese version that I have, but I have seen that scene before. Yeah, it's Is not. It good? It's not adding much. I, it's from what I remember. He just walks. Uh, David Carradine uh, walks in a market and then like gets attacked by Michael Jai White, and they have. Oh, it's online. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen it. Uh, 
Yeah, I have not seen it in a decade, probably, but that's kind of what I recall. It didn't seem to be that, you know, pivotal or interesting. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> I also think that the reason why Bill works so bad is because there's not much of him. I don't mm-hmm. think I ever needed... Works so bad? Are you using in like a Michael Jackson Oh, line? I said works so well. Sorry. Oh, I thought you said works so bad. <laughs> no, works so well is because maybe I misspoke, but that's what I meant. Works so well. Dear listener, rewind. Am I deaf or did she misspeak? Oh, boy. Find, you can find out. Uh, but it's because you don't really see him that much in the first movie. Mm-hmm. You do not see his face. Yeah, he's a hand and a voice. and uh, And so, and I think that also works because... He's, I mean, by the time this movie came out, David Carradine was kind of a frail man. And mm-hmm. and I think it works with the second part of the movie, which is a lot more kind of melancholy in many ways, to see that, that like, deterioration of clearly someone who used to be this killer and is now making sandwiches for his daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I feel like having more, like, the threat of Bill, considering the shape of David Carradine, worked better for me as a voice uh, mm-hmm. in the first one. Uh, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Would you need, would you like to have more Bill scenes? Well, it's funny. I, yeah, I like him as just a kind of specter in this mm-hmm. movie. I remember how how surprised I was when the trailers for the second one just showed his face. Um, uh, by the way, I forgot to mention, I, I rewatched that great teaser before we recorded. And then I also watched the trailers for both movies. The trailer for part two is great. Volume two. Uh, the trailer for volume one is one of the worst trailers I've ever seen. It's fucking abysmal. It <laughs> is it the one that it's it is, set to the Green Hornet theme, and there's like one ticket to Tokyo, and then it's like no, yes, okay. yes, yes. There's a lot of that. It's also it opens in in the most 2003 way. It opens with a slowed down shot of Uma Thurman's ass. Oh God, is it really? Okay, I need- it's. Yes, I will say I need a- to rewatch that, but I don't mean that in the leery way. I remember <laughs> the the teaser for two was amazing. The teaser for two was just her driving uh, in that car. That's basically the beginning of two, and I thought that was mm. so fucking great. Um, uh, so here's a question, and maybe you you were joking, but maybe we will end up uh, watching uh, the second one for an, as an episode for the show in a few months. But if we do, you know, you could always change your answer then. Which which of these do you like more? Uh, I, that's a good question. I always thought the answer is one. Uh, but I don't know. It might. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think one not having rewatched two. As recently as I have, but mm-hmm. I always, I think, had more of a fondness for one, even though some of my favorite scenes are in two. I truly love the 
everything in Bud's trailer like is mm-hmm. fantastic. The L driver stuff, the Bud stuff. I think there is a bit of a letdown. I think there's a very much a poetic reason as to why it ended the way it did. But I remember at the time when I watched it kind of being underwhelmed by it in some way. I wanted that revenge on Bill himself to be more visceral than it ended up being. I am curious what I think of it now if I rewatch it. But I think I I still love two, but I think one in terms of just being pure fun and just creative mayhem mm-hmm. appeals to me more as a whole. How about you? Well, I remember what I would always say, um, and I checked, and I think I I, I might uh, I just bumped on Letterboxes up to five stars for me, but it was four and a half, and I think I had like uh, probably I can check, but probably had volume two as five maybe. Mm. But I, what I always used to say is that one, you know, volume one is the more fun movie, but volume two is the movie that makes them both great. Um, yeah. And that being said, I always, and maybe we'll see in a few years, if I, for you, few years, few months, if I still feel the same way, but I always felt the Esteban scenes to be really boring. And I am not saying that uh, to retro, to retroactively give me a pat on the bat for uh, recognizing the brown face. Um, Cause I don't think I even realized that it was Michael Parks when I saw the movie. Yeah, the first I don't time. think I, I remember- did initially. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember finding the scene dull. Maybe I feel differently. I honestly don't remember who he plays or what he does. I just remember a pimp who like who kind of raised Bill. And yeah, there's like a scene. I remember just being unsettled by there was the woman whose face is clearly sliced. She has that Mm. like cleft lip and He's being very handsy with her. Clearly, this is an abusive relationship. I mean, no shit, he's a pimp. But Mm. I, you know, I always felt very uncomfortable with it. And I, yeah, I don't know what it necessarily added to the story. Um, well, let's 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 save all that. But yes, yeah. anyway, all, all, I still all that. like you know. For me, both of those movies are five star movies. I still really yeah. love them, but I think they hit me differently, and the way that one hits me, I enjoy better. <laughs> I yeah, I liked. Uh, I remember liking the final confrontation, the second one at the time. But hey, well, again, let's save all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is just pure fun. And let's let's talk about that a little. It's just perfectly edited, perfectly directed sequence after sequence. Mm-hmm. And unlike the Esteban scene in the in the second one, none of it gets boring, despite there being so little story. And despite the fact that this ends with how long is the fight at the at the end? Do you know? Uh, I, I meant to check and I forgot. I think it's like over forty minutes total, probably. Uh, like, from from her entering the restaurant? I think like, yeah, from like them entering the restaurant. I, I can check. I used to know that, but let's see how. So well, it is. It's amazing how. How that continues to be exciting for that period of time. And as I was watching it, I was trying to ask myself, why does this never get boring? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a kind of thing on one level. I think the fact that there's constantly new information being given to the audience, um, 
whether it's like a new moment in the in the fight. But I was trying to think like, okay, what makes a great fight scene? Why is this so much more exciting to me than most fight scenes in big blockbusters nowadays? And this is this is very uh uh 101 level but this is kind of the list i came up with is that i think a great movie fight has to have um stakes for the narrative and for the character um it has to have some some amount of all of these points Mm -hmm. doesn't have to have all of them but it should have most of these so great personal or narrative stakes it should have um, great physical, uh, exciting physical performances from the uh, the actors and the stunt performers. Um, it should be filmed in an exciting way. And oh, no, I forgot the rest of my list at the time. I was like, should I write this down? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Oh, and then I think it was that it should be constantly uh there should be new information continuously. Yeah, added. like it should not basically repeat itself over and over again. Yes. You shouldn't so maybe be it was, fighting the same fight over and over again. Yeah, so maybe it was four, not five. Either that or I forgot one really important one. Um, but I was thinking, you think about like the Marvel movies and because it's all CGI, you already... And not all CGI. There's incredible stunt work in all those films. But so many of the big fight scenes are so filled with CGI that you can't you can even tell when it's not CGI. Mm-hmm. Your mind just kind of switches to a this is all CGI mode. Right. And because of that, um, because of that, you're losing one of those pillars, mm-hmm. the impressive physical performances. Like I watch this scene and some of these stunt performers are doing things that are like mind boggling. Mm-hmm. You know, the wire work and all the stuff that's going on there. So because of that, in a modern blockbuster or something that is heavily CGI oriented, you need those other pillars to be so much stronger. They need to like the narrative stakes have to be so high. This fight has to be so important. And then like it has to be filmed in a really interesting way. Um, and I think so many of them fail by not being able to build the other pillars up high enough to replace the lack of the just excited, the excitement you get from an amazing, amazing physical choreography and performance. Yeah. And I also think, obviously we know there's going to be a volume two. (laughs) So, you know, Mm -hmm. she has to survive this, but it's still, I feel even now I rewatched the scene and there's so many close calls where you're like, oh no, she's going to die. And I think that element of danger for me, I don't mean to keep shitting on Marvel movies, but it almost doesn't exist for me anymore either. Because as you said, a lot of it either uh, is CGI or feels as if it is. And so none of the stakes are there. None of the storytelling stakes are there because we kind of know that, oh, well, they'll be back in some way mm-hmm. if they really need them to. And here it, there's an element of danger. And yeah, like as you said, it's so much inventiveness in those scenes Mm -hmm. it's never boring every character is unique even though they all dress the same and have those masks every character has its own fight style they uh 
the way that they die is not all the same. The way that they get injured, there's always fun visual gags happening in the background. Mm -hmm. The frame is so rich. And as you said, because this is not CGI, it didn't feel aged. I was watching it with my boyfriend and he's like, this movie holds up so well, like, because there's no CGI, basically. Like, that's what Mm -hmm. he said. And... I think that's very true because, yeah, there's nothing that you can point to to be like, oh, this aged badly. This is just very competent people doing amazing physical work. Uh, and to be clear, there's CGI in this movie. Uh, Go-Go's ball flying at the camera in slow motion is CGI. Sure. Um, the bullet being loaded into the chamber is CGI. I'm going to wager that those shots of a mosquito in extreme, extreme, impossible close-up are probably CGI. Well, I um, think, but what matters is not. I think these are tiny things. And and I'm sure there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of wires were removed using CGI, mm-hmm. but it's not intrusive. That's not the the main event here. The main event is super competent stunt uh, people doing amazing work. Uh, and yeah, and just like very creative filmmaking that keeps you entertained for uh, definitely over 30 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. I think to me that's like the most important part. But I, I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, um, you know, what are what are some other fight scenes that we genuinely love? And I was thinking about ones that I love. You know, uh, the stuff from the Raid movies, which are obviously predicated on incredible, incredible, brutal yeah. physical performance. Um, one of my favorite fights of all time will always be the fight from the. I believe the final season of Deadwood mm. where um I've never seen uh, it. Dan oh it's been years I think it's the character of Dan the W Earl Brown character fights the big tough bodyguard of Hearst while their two bosses and they're fighting in the mud while their two bosses watch from their respective balconies and it's kind of thing like this is it's a proxy battle the narrative stakes could not be higher this is a, a scene that is brutal from a physical performance and like it's like ugly realness is part of what makes it mm. um so memorable similarly to tony and uh ralphie beating the shit out of each other in the sopranos not to do another hbo tv show but like that's something John, where it's just this, this is not <laughs> home box office Cinema. time machine <laughs> <laughs> But I, but anyway, so like those are great scenes. But maybe that's a more obvious question. I think the que- the question should be, what we're, we're shitting on CGI. What are some great CGI fight scenes? Uh oh, because they do exist. I think a bunch of stuff in RRR was CGI. Oh, there you go. Perfect. And that was super fun because uh, it was so over the top mm-hmm. and the CGI already looked super fake. Uh, and that was great. Does uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, do they use CGI or is it mostly still just wire work? It's mostly like wire work. Um that one was really good. I think for me, the thing is, is that I don't like people fighting generally is not super interesting to me necessarily. Mm-hmm. It is sort of when 
I almost think of it, the best fight scenes are dances, they're choreography, they're just violent choreography. And so the stuff that I really like is stuff like John Wick or Atomic Blonde. The movie is not great, but the fight scenes in that are so well coordinated uh, or choreographed that it's it's as if you're watching these two, usually two people engaged in a dance. And uh, so I, I'm trying to think of good CGI fight scenes. Probably something in I, Star Wars. I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> the Matrix. I, I guess. Oh sure. Uh, um, well, I guess the most CGI would be the um, the fight with Neo against like the the burly brawl. I guess they call it in Matrix uh, Reloaded. Well, but isn't there that, one where he fights uh, a bunch of Smiths? That's where he fights. That's the one I'm talking oh, about. Okay. The burly brawl. I haven't uh, seen that's that. That's when this switches to full CGI, and I think it's 2003, and it does not. It it doesn't hold up super well, um, and it's much better earlier when he's just punching um, uh, just a bunch of dudes who kind of look like uh, Hugo Weaving. But but I think I think what we're saying is like yeah we we miss the physical the physical performance element. So if it if it is, does become all CGI, I think it has to be spectacle mm-hmm. and and creativity. You have you have this. It's not you can't excite us with the fight. You have to excite us with. Take this imagination. You have unlimited imagination now. Take it as far as you can go. Something with RRR that reaches a completely uh, sensational element. Or um, this isn't really a fight, but I think of the great uh, chase scene that I think I've mentioned before on this. The chase scene in this year's Dungeons and Dragons movie. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. I love that movie. The shape-shifting chase scene. Oh, yeah. Which is fun. a yeah, a great combination of uh, practical and and filmed plates and CGI, and that's something where it's like, yeah, you can't make a mouse falling from a tall window transform into a bird so it can survive the last moment. You can't do that in real life because it's not real. But that is something where the CGI that is showing me something that is so interesting and creative mm-hmm. um that it had that it totally makes up for the lack of realism it, the lack of that that punch i feel when oh yeah i think charlie stone really bruised herself up making <laughs> um atomic blonde oh yeah i can see that uh um Keanu Reeves is really fighting with a bunch of stunt performers in John Wick. Oh yes, I can see that Uma Thurman or Zoe Bell, whoever's uh, uh, credited you know, twice. By the way, she gets credited mm-hmm. twice for the same thing: stunt double for The Bride. I don't know why she's in it <laughs> twice. Maybe someone messed up. I, I guess that's just supposed to be like, yeah, she really did a good job here. Good and job, I mean, the fight thing's incredible, and she and all of those performers are so incredible in those sequences. But then, of course, you also also have it's filmed so excitingly the camera is finding interesting ways to film each moment the over the head shots swooping down below mm-hmm. it is such an excitingly filmed action se- sequence from a filmmaker who at this point was really mostly known for dialogue and like set pieces but not action set pieces yeah i think he was known for violence but i don't think he was known for sort of choreographing necessarily fight scenes so i think yeah i think 
come back to the rumors that we heard before Kill Bill came out. Everyone was like, this is going to be so bloody. And I think <laughs> at the time, at least what I inferred from that was not that this is going to be an exciting action sequence, uh, but rather a ton of people are going to die in gruesome ways, which I suppose still technically happens, but it does not. It does not convey what that scene is if all you say is a ton of people die, you know. Uh, and also, he uses a lot of sound in very fun ways. There's a lot of mm -hmm. fun sound effects happening here. Or when he chooses to do music, diegetic music, non-diegetic music, when at the end, when it's just silent and it's just people groaning and screaming, that is a comedic moment. It works because he <laughs> set that up. Uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, I mean, obviously he worked on this for, I think, that whole scene they filmed for months. So it, it definitely shows. Um, and it's amazing. No. It, it really is. Uh, it, it really is incredible. It's it's so incredibly fun. Um, should we talk at all about the unfortunate thing about the car crash? The Uma Thurman car crash? Yes. Maybe we can talk about it at volume two. I think this was a volume two thing that happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um uh I just it I was watching this and I was like, I was like, oh. I was like, is Uma Thurman in any other Tarantino movies after this? And then I remember it's like, oh yeah, we have an answer for why that she wasn't. Um Yeah, I yeah, I wasn't gonna bring that up because I don't didn't want to bring up down the conversation but yeah i don't think there's also a reason why there's probably not gonna be another collaboration between them which is mm -hmm. pretty sad yeah uh i i just just in case we all said there was a uh um because it's actually in the volume one wikipedia so i don't know unless is it also in the volume two wikipedia that'd be fun but isn't <laughs> it's fun. the it's the scene of her driving to bill how is it in the first one I guess for some reason they just have it. You know what it is? They basically just have all of the production information mm. uh, uh, in the article for the first one because they, you know, it was supposed to be filmed as one movie, so it was all filmed together. Right? Yeah. Um, the volume two didn't exist until filming was done. Um, but yeah, for those of you who don't know, there was a scene, a car crash, a uh, scene where. Um, Uma Thurman was just to drive in a car and uh, she did not feel safe doing the stunt, but Tarantino told her it would be OK, but it was not. And she uh, uh, was fairly seriously injured in a car crash, had a concussion. This uh, was uh, this information was not released publicly and no one heard about it until 2018 during all the uh, stuff about uh, Harvey Weinstein coming out. So uh, just a bit of unfortunateness. Um, hey, if there's one thing we know about uh, from this podcast, uh, any art you like, there's some story that'll make you like it less. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly the further you go back. And particularly um, if it involves a Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very unfortunate that he has his name on a lot of good movies. Um, yeah. All right. Well, should we rank this movie, John? <laughs> Should we? Um, yes. Well, is, is there anything anything else? Like anything else we can think of? I, I don't know. I guess not. I think so, this yeah, is a good conversation. And if we have a volume two conversation, we're going to keep going. 
There you go. Oh, the anime sequence. I love the anime sequence. It's fucking great. Oh, it's really good. I liked how it's not super polished. Like it is polished, but the way that it is, the sort of the style of animation is very mm-hmm. raw, which I think works super well. The teeth uh, popping out of his mouth never fails to freak me out. Like viscerally, I have a visceral I reaction. I hate that. I hate it so much. I just can't. I, I'm the exact same way. <laughs> I hate it. There and there are two other grinding moments. There's a part where she kills a female uh, crazy eighty eight member who also grinds her teeth like that. Yes. And then when Gogo is choking her, it makes similar grinding sound effects, and I fucking hate it it's so gross <laughs> well, the movie worked on you <laughs> yes um uh the, the director of that sequence is uh kazuto nakazawa and it's fun. i remember seeing this in the in the um in theaters and that i feel like that was a much more unique thing i feel like doing a part of the movie in a completely different style i feel like we've had more exa- obviously this is not the first case of that um, in the history of cinema, but I feel like we've had much much more uh, free experimentation like that since then. Oh, for sure. I was that was part of the stuff that I was thinking about when I was talking about how I noticed the pastiche nature of it. I noticed so mm-hmm. many more of the references, and I was actually ad- also admiring. Yeah, because at the time, I don't think this was done in any other mainstream movie where he was like, yeah, this scene is going to (laughs) be this whole thing is going to be black and white. This scene Mm -hmm. is going to be animated. Like, I'm going to make a ton of references to Japanese movies no one has ever seen. I'm going to bring back Sony Chiba, who I love, who probably no one else knows who he is. Who is excellent. Oh, he's amazing. Probably makes terrible sushi as a Tori Hanzo, but amazing swords. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, and I bet like even that scene, I was watching it, the, the scene in Okinawa where mm. I bet that is also a reference to the kinds of slapsticky jokes that happen in those movies. Cause not that I have seen them, but it feels like again, like everything is. Either a reference to something, a love letter to something else. Uh, and it's it's pretty rich in a way where you don't really need to know all the references. The movie still works without them. But it's great that he just made a love letter to movies that he loved as a child, which is pretty fun. It's fun. It's fun. All right. Let's give it a rating. All right. Three, two, two one. One. A plus. A. A plus. Do we go pluses? I don't give A pluses. I just don't give A pluses. Well, Um, there are a few movies, uh, my like few favorite movies of all time that could get an A plus. But uh, while I I love this movie and I think I loved it even more on this watch than I did in the past, um, I would not call it one of my favorite movies of all time. Wow, that's a that's a a silly bar to, to bring up. This is it's great. It's great. It holds up. It's super fun. Nice. Well, are there any other fun and great or super fun movies that you have seen recently? Well, yes, there are. Wow. Um, I've seen a, a lot of movies recently as I try to every October. Not just horror films. Let me try to think of all the movies I've seen since um, our last episode. Uh, 
our last episode was big chill so i think i had seen um okay i watched for the first time ever pumpkin head i don't know what that is Pump- <laughs> Pumpkinhead is a 1988 movie. It is the directorial debut of Stan Winston, um, one of the greatest uh, movie monster creators of all time. Weirdly enough, in his directorial debut, uh, it's when the monster shows up that the movie kind of falls apart for me. Um, It's still very fun. I just I find the monster design to be boring. Um, and its death scenes are uninteresting. I think that a lot of that has to do with the limited budget of the film. But... Up until that point, the movie is absolutely fucking beautiful. It is the most Halloween-y looking movie you've ever fucking seen. Mm. Everything is orange and spooky. There's spooky woods. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I kind of let me down in the second half, but it's still incredibly fun. Um, next, on Friday the 13th, I went to a theater and saw Friday the 13th, the original. Okay. Which... I realize I haven't seen since high school. I recently did a full series watch of that movie, but I had not seen the original in years and years and years. It is worse than I remember. It is completely, <laughs> it is completely incompetent. Uh, it is clear they were terrified of not making a feature length, so there's tons of shots that just go on for no reason. Um, there's a character who rides a bike away at one point, and it, it's almost a wet hot American summer joke, how long we just hold on this guy riding his bike away from camera. Okay. But... But I saw it at uh, Vidiot's in L.A. And weirdly, uh, you go see like an old horror movie playing at some uh, repertory theater and you expect it's a bunch of uh, like dudes like me. It's a bunch of like people in their 40s or pushing 40, uh, (laughs) just a bunch of like dudes who've seen the movie way too many times. But the audience was filled with young people, Mm. uh, including like next to us was like, I think like a a literal pair of teenagers on a date. And uh, like literally the audience, the movie was made for. And it was clear from their reactions that a lot of them had never seen it. (laughs) And as bad as this movie is, they were having a great fucking time. And some of the uh, uh, big jump scares, uh, one in particular, stolen directly from Carrie, uh, got huge reactions from the audience. And it was amazing just thinking, like, this is a 43-year-old movie. It is a terrible film. <laughs> but I can think of excellent 43-year-old movies that couldn't dream of getting teenagers this excited or anyone this excited in a theatrical release today. So, hey, here's to you, Friday the 13th. Um, I saw Dick's the Musical, uh, the adaptation mm-hmm. of the UCB uh, show from when, when we were both doing UCB stuff. Uh, this is Aaron Jackson, uh, Josh Sharp's movie. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. Did it feel a little stretched in its transition from 30 minutes to 83 minutes? A little bit. But <laughs> hey, it was a fucking blast. Love seeing it with the theater. Um I finally watched Life Force, Toby Hooper's movie. Uh, it's uh, from uh, uh, 85. It is a movie about fully nude, sexy space vampires that kill all of London. Whoa. Somehow, it's more boring than that description would make you think. It's a very boring movie. That being said, it's still a movie about fully nude, sexy space vampires that kill all of London. So it's still pretty fun if you ignore the parts that are very boring. Um, I saw The Hidden for the first time. I can't believe I'd never seen it before. Uh, uh, Kyle McLaughlin's great. It's great. It's a real fucking treat. Um, it feels like a proto men in black. Uh, uh, it's it's a ball. I saw Killers of the Flower Moon. 
um, probably uh, too complex to like do a quick rundown. Then I loved it. Um, I've had really interesting conversations with people since. There's no time to have that here, but I think it's fucking great. Um, and I, I even if you don't like it, it's certainly worth watching. I didn't mind the running length. Um, and then I saw The Exorcist for the first time in high school. It's much better for now that I'm an adult. For the first time in w- high school? Oh, I saw it for the first time since high school. Oh, okay. Or, God, maybe middle school. I might have been Reagan's age when I saw that movie. Oh. Like, I might have literally been 12. And <laughs> I remember thinking it was boring. I thought you um, meant Reagan as in Ronald Reagan. I was like, yeah, you Ronald aged Reagan's backwards, aging. you Benjamin Buttons. I was dead. <laughs> uh, no, Reagan McNeil, Linda Blair, the little girl from the movie. I was around her age. Um, and similarly to, like, I read It uh, when I was around the characters ages and then reread it, it is an adult the horror uh, perpetrated on children is scarier as an adult than when you're a child. Um, wow. But uh, but yeah, the, the first Exorcist was great. Then I watched for the first time Exorcist 3 last night. That movie's fucking insane. <laughs> um, the first half of it is great. But then the second half of it, I think it's a real case of uh, what I am. I'm coining the term um, shiny, the shining TV miniseries uh, um, disorder. And that's when you take scenes that were from a, that were from a really scary book. Um, and you put them on screen and then they look really stupid in a movie and you should change them. Um, uh, I think I'm describing that phenomenon <laughs> correctly, but I think it suffers from that. It was still an entertaining watch. Wow. That's a lot. That's it. That's it. All right. <laughs> I'll go next. I try, to, I try to watch at least like a spooky movie every two days in October. Wow. I've only seen one and it was kind of bad. I I saw Freaky, which I was very excited oh. about because it's a body swap comedy that I love, but also with slasher movie that I also am f- fond of with two actors that I really enjoyed. But it was really mediocre just it felt like a missed opportunity to do something fun with the genre that Hmm. was not taken uh i also saw dexter musical and kind of had similar thoughts to you i thought it was great and it was great that it was done i love that uh they made nathan lane spit sausage or whatever it was uh, the bloopers are funnier than the movie and i yeah. do not mean that as an insult the bloopers are some of the hardest i've laughed uh, this year and the songs are legit great uh so yeah so recommend if it's in a theater near you please watch i saw poison and the swan which are two of the shorts mm. wes anderson oh. made for netflix based on the roll doll stories they were very sad, especially the swan. <laughs> I do like the aesthetic of these things, but I don't know that the subject matter necessarily was my vibe. I watched Mr. Organ, which is the new documentary by the guy who made Tickled, which is one of my favorite all-time silly documentaries. Mm, uh, I've seen that one. It was like, I don't really want to say anything about it, but... uh. He, I will say that he very accurately depicted what it was like to be around his subject matter to the point that I wanted to leave, I guess. (laughs) Uh, 
I rewatched Inglorious Bastards. I guess I'm kind of watching more Tarantino movies now. And it's still amazing. It's really, really fun. Uh, you know, I'm longing for the days where we, it's, things are as clear cut as Nazis bad. <laughs> Uh, so that was nice. <laughs> I did go see Taylor Swift's era tour uh, in a theater and it was a ton of fun. I am very much a selective Taylor Swift fan. I really love some of her stuff, but other stuff I don't even know. Uh, about did you see it with a big group? I saw it with three other people. Uh, I will say I was the most enthusiastic about it. <laughs> uh, Did you dance? I danced in my seat. I sang in my seat. Uh, and it was it was really fun. The thing that I like most about Taylor Swift is how, despite being basically the most successful woman ever, she's still like a giant dorky drama kid. <laughs> like she, The way she dances is very adorable, but also very awkward. And she has a lot of these sort of drama kid mannerisms as she performs, which I find very adorable, but I can also see how other people might find it very annoying. And I also saw Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really, really good. I have read the book. So I had like the stuff that I mostly thought about because the horrors of the story I was already aware of. And the thing that... um I was mostly interested in is his choice of a POV character. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I thought the movie worked super well. Uh, but my main thing was that. And maybe even I, I don't know that even in the book, there's much of it, but I feel like it ended up being more of a Leo movie or sort of a movie about white people as opposed to yes. a movie about uh, Native American people. and I think that is true. And I think some of it is by design, but it still kind of left me cold uh, in some ways. Um, but overall, I think it's great and it's definitely worth seeing. Um, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's very much it is a movie about uh, white guilt and white uh, complicity in evil. Uh, uh, the um, uh, and much more than it is about the life of the Osage people. Um, but and I I can understand uh, rightfully um, indigenous people being very frustrated by that. Um, why is this movie? We finally get a movie about us and it's still actually about white people. And I can act absolutely. And I, I could totally understand people being like, we get it. White people are evil. <laughs> you don't need to make movies about it. You show, you show it enough. I, I mean, um, I think making, um, uh, this story, at least for me, until I read the book, I was not aware of it or the extent of it mm. in any way. I, every, page in that book was a new revelation and new shocking thing so i'm very much glad that at least like this story is getting it's sort of kind of similar thing to what happened with watchmen and the tulsa bombings mm -hmm. that i think a lot of people were just not even aware and not 
that necessarily movies are supposed to be this educational thing, but it is a crazy story. It's a crazy story that happened. And it's kind of crazy that most people are unaware of it at all. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of positive things about the movie. I mean, the filmmaking is also phenomenal, but I think it left me cold in some ways. And I'm kind of I was trying to figure out why that is. And I think it might be because of that POV choice, which I think it is like, as you say, it is to illustrate the cruelty of white people. But uh, yeah, it still kind of felt a bit cold to me in that way. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the kind of thing where I see similarly to The Irishman, which I like this movie much more than The Irishman. Mm-hmm. But similarly to that movie, I could totally understand people being like, well, I just don't want this story. I don't understand why I would want this uh, this I well, why I would want to hear about this true life story explored from this angle. And I get that if you don't, if that's not what you want, that's not what you want. But I think this movie shows what it wants to say and says that in about as uh, well done a way as you possibly can. I just completely understand people who are like, well, that's just not what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's completely fair. But I definitely, uh, by the time when Jesse Plemons showed up, I was Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, even though we know that nothing and I kind of knew how it ends. So I know that the ending is not that great, like positive as in, uh, but still just like seeing someone who believes these people was such a relief. Uh, and also, I think Jesse Plemons played that character so well. Uh, well, you know what? Yeah. Maybe if uh, the MPTP ends the fucking strike um now more than 100 days for the actors uh that's not including the extra mu- uh, month and a half two months before the sag after strike began when it was the writer's strike um maybe if uh, uh if the mptp gets off their fucking asses and ends the strike we could discuss these newer movies more fully but until then we will not so what what uh Assuming the strike does not end, what next older movie could we discuss next time, Veronica? All right, John, you put me on the spot. So while... Sorry, I'm sorry. I've done this. (laughs) While I do that, we can discuss... I'll read more of that live journal. (laughs) Well, we can discuss how amazing were um, uh, Robert De Niro's goggles that was like <laughs> he's driving movie. goggles but no no we will not talk about his amazing driving goggles until the strike is done all right all right i'm sorry <laughs> i okay so i believe the next weekend our options are oh god thor the dark world please dear lord no, no. uh the matrix revolutions <laughs> Uh, which I've never seen. <laughs> I would feel, I would feel like I would have to watch Reloaded first, and I just don't. Want I've to. never seen any of the sequels, but I do like the first one, obviously. Uh, <sighs> well, we we can discuss it. We can consider the it. Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas. Oh, look, we gotta, we gotta. Or John's favorite movie, The Big Chill, <laughs> still at the box office. <laughs> 
Well, now, we'll, we'll we will discuss this between uh, now and the next episode, but I think this is Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. I, the thing is, is that I don't really love that movie, and I don't want to be so negative about it. Like, I mean, what? I'm not going to be, be fun. I guess I, I don't want to be discuss. a grump. I don't want to be a Grinch. I would be interested to know why you didn't like it. Plus, we can counterbalance uh, my hour-long shit-talking of The Big Chill. I will never be as cruel to The Nightmare Before Christmas as you were to The Big Chill. I will not ruin well, your dreams. that's because one of those is a good movie, Veronica. All right, toot toot, John. Fade out, fade out. Toot toot. <laughs>